This podcast is made possible by our supporters over on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get your own RSS feed with ad-free shows and extra episodes every month, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. another episode of the nerd cave retro show my name is jason robbins and i am obi no i'm just kidding this is derek diamond <laughs> the best part of that trailer is when obi-wan's talking to uh, uncle owen he's like when he's ready he needs to be trained and he's like and uncle owen's like what like you trained his father i'm like "Ooh, that burns that hurts I'm, if there was a crowd behind uncle owen they would have went oh <laughs> <laughs> is to get the gif of that one guy that's like, oh, and he flushes. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah. Can somebody happy... make that, somebody that's good at making uh, gifs and videos, like have that part of the trailer and then just put in the picture, the gif of that guy that's like, oh, and like falls out of frame. I'm sure it's somewhere on the internet already. It's got to be. Dude, I got yeah. goosebumps when, when that part happened in the trailer. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah, we're going to get to see, because uh, Owen didn't seem too bad in Attack of the Clones, and then you fast forward to A New Hope, and he's you know, he's kind of a jerk. Yeah, I think we're going to get some uh, insight into why he does not like old Ben too much in this uh, in the, the series. And we, we see he already doesn't like him, so yeah. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, happy May 4th to those who uh, are Star Wars fans and yes. celebrate this, this holiest of holy days, so... <laughs> I was wondering. How is, I was wondering what we were going to get today. I figured uh, Disney would have given. I, I was thinking we were going to get another Obi Wan Kenobi trailer, which we did. But I was thinking they were going to release some more stuff too for for the fourth today. But they didn't really. That was that was it. Just the Obi Wan trailer. Did you see that? I think I sent you and Wally the new poster that they put out with like yeah. the giant picture of Obi Wan with Vader in the middle. Yeah, so cool. The the Vader bits from that trailer got me the most excited because I've been wanting for quite some time now to see on screen because it's been in multiple books but how does Darth Vader get ready like when he gets out of his back to tank that he sleeps in yeah like he has to be put together I want to see that please show yeah, me I, that <laughs> I, they showed glimpses of it so I think we're going to get it and plus why bring Hayden Christensen back if you're not going to show him with his helmet off yeah I think we're. I, th- I I saw some people poo pooing this new of course series, they did. and I'm like, you are just there's something sad within you, and I don't know what it is, and I'm sorry, I don't know who wronged you in your life that you would not want this in your life, but I've been waiting for this series since I first saw Star Wars when I was a kid, and I'm like. I want to know what what happened with Obi Wan Kenobi on the planet. Like I want to know that entire eighteen year uh, span. I want to know what happened in that span. Well, it's pretty well documented that no one hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. Yeah. So I'm not surprised <laughs> at all. But no, we we were talking before we started when Disney bought the rights to Star Wars. I said to myself. The one thing that I want is an Obi-Wan story that takes place in between episodes three and four, because that's still an area that hasn't really been tapped in mm-hmm. uh, quite like it should. So I wonder if this is popular enough, if they'll do more with Obi-Wan. I hope so, because I think Ewan McGregor, I think he loves the fact that he's Obi-Wan Kenobi and he will mm-hmm. play Obi-Wan Kenobi until he's dead. So let him play Obi-Wan as long as he wants just season I mean if you get 20 seasons out of him do it just back that truck up of uh Disney money up to his front yard just dump it and be like just be Obi-Wan Kenobi from now on exactly I'm not gonna lie when we get to the moment when Vader and Obi-Wan essentially reunite it's gonna be emotional like I'm probably gonna scream (laughs) you have you have to call me when you get to that scene (laughs) And we got to talk each other through it. So yeah, like you're just not gonna hear me say anything. You're just you're gonna answer the phone. And you're gonna hear ah, 
I'm kind of sad that we don't get that in the in a theater experience because I feel like that's sh- something that should have been a theater experience. But I mean, I'm glad to get it. But man, like that's something I wanted to see on the big screen. They should do that. Like, do a. I know it's a series, but do like an all day event where you show all the episodes in a theater. Yeah. Cause I'd do it. I would go see that. Yeah. But we've only got, was it three weeks? Yep. Yep. Three weeks. Oh man. 21 days. It's a great time to be a star Wars fan. I, I personally think it is like, I know a lot of people are jaded with the new content, but I love the Mandalorian. I even liked book of Boba Fett. It's not perfect but I still liked it. And we're getting an Obi-Wan Kenobi series with Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. What more could you ask for? Like, really? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I don't, I just, I'm, I'm, I've had my ups and downs with star Wars myself. Not a fan of rise of Skywalker was very disappointed in that movie. I liked the last Jedi, even though a lot of people hated it. I'm not, I don't think Disney did great with the sequel trilogy, but I think they're, they're doing really good with the, uh, the TV content. I don't want to dive too much into my gripes with the trilogy, but I think the biggest problem is that you can tell Disney did not have a huge plan or like a, like at least with the prequels, you can tell it is a singular story that, that transcends three movies. Mm. You don't get that with the sequels. Like, yeah, you got force awakens and that was a fun intro back into the universe, but they're kind of like, well, We'll we'll kind of figure it out as we go. And with a trilogy like that, with expectations the way they're going to be, you can't do that. I just wonder what would have happened if instead of J.J. Abrams, if they would have given uh, Force Awakens to uh, John Favreau or um, oh crap, what's his Dave name? Filoni? Uh, Dave Filoni. If they would have given it to one of those guys first, had they done that, I don't know if we would have gotten the Mandalorian though. True. But I think moving forward, they, they just need to leave those two guys and Bryce Dallas Howard, just those three, just put those three in charge. Even if you, if, if it's just, you know, John Favreau writing Dave Filoni orchestrating everything and, and Bryce Dallas Howard, just directing everything. Just if that's the hierarchy, I'm happy with that. This may be too much to ask. But with the three of them, could you imagine how good a Darth Vader series would be? Oh, my God. Don't even tease me with that. <laughs> You're going to give me a heart attack. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'll I'm, have a heart attack if it happens. Because of all the directors of the new Star Wars series, like I feel like Bryce Dallas Howard is the one who has the, 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 the best emotional content and personal drama. I think she just excels at that. So just let her just loose, like let her do, I, I just, just leave them in charge. Like Kathleen Kennedy, just, just take a step back and just let them run everything. Just don't even bother anymore. Go do like ET2 or something. Just, I don't know. Just take a step back and let, let those three have it. Well, I think that's what the misconception is where everyone's like, Oh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni should replace Kathleen Kennedy. But you realize if they do that, they're not going to be physically on set yeah. handling really the creative because yeah, they're going to have to be handling the business side. See, of that's the thing. She started meddling in the creative side when she should have just stayed in the producing side where she shined for 30, 40 years. And then she got into the creative process and that's where things started to fall apart. She's not to be in the creative part. She's supposed to be producer and then delegate to the people that know what they're doing. Which there's nothing wrong with that because it is a very important part of making movies and TV series happen. Yeah. And like you said, that's where she shines and that has to be taken care of. So let her do that and then let Favreau and Filoni run all the creative. Yeah. And we've already gone, what, like (laughs) 10, 12 minutes now talking about Star Wars. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine we're probably going to have some type of a Kenobi centric episode when that show is done. We have to like, I know we talk about it every time there's a Star Wars series, like we're going to do a, you know an episode talking about the series, but this one we have to. I feel like this is going to be the one that they've learned everything that, that they need from doing the Mandalorian 
and Book of Boba Fett, and they're not going to screw this up. <laughs> they're not. The expectations are going to be far too high. I mean, Ewan McGregor is like, you got that dude back to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, you're not going to, you can't screw this up. You just can't. I feel like neither him or Hayden Christensen would have came back if they thought that it was going to suck. Exactly. Like, Hayden Christensen was done, like, with Star Wars. Like, he left acting because, you know, he just couldn't find work after Revenge of the Sith. Like, that kind of ruined him. And I think he's due for a, a resurgence and people to give him the respect he deserved. Yes, he was not great in those movies, but I don't think... Here's my my thoughts on going back and watching those movies not too long ago. It's not his fault. It's not, it's not, um, uh, what's her name? Padme. Uh, what's her name? Real name? Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. It's not their fault. They just had bad dialogue. There's no actor in the world could pull off that dialogue. George Lucas is not a good dialogue writer. I've said it for years. George Lucas is a good storyteller. Yes. But that does not make you a good writer. Exactly. That's why like I, Empire was so good, because he gave it off to somebody who knew how to write dialogue. Yeah. No, exactly. Like, George Lucas is one that you want him in the room bouncing ideas off of him, but you don't want him putting you know pen to paper and writing out your screenplay. You could tell those three movies, those prequels, each one of those were a first draft. I, I'm... I will bet any amount of money right now. There was no rewrite on any of that. It was he spent a weekend writing those movies, and that was it. He was like, no, I'm not going back. Like It's perfect the way it is. And like, George might want to take another pass or two on that. That's the thing with Uncle George. You got to you gotta put a leash on him and just yeah. kind of pull him back. Like, no, it's... It's not going to work, I think buddy. If Steven Spielberg would have been there, uh, he would have made him do another pass or two, but and then another, and then another, and then another, <laughs> and then maybe they would have been ready. I think if they if they would have had better dialogue, if there would have been better, uh, better direction, because I don't think George Lucas is a great director either. Like he's a great no, he's storyteller. Not. That's what he does. He's, he comes up with these fantastic stories. But he's not a good director, and if they would have had a better director and better dialogue, those movies would have been just way more loved than they are. Yeah, I think so, too. And I'll say this, I mentioned it, you know, when comparing it to the sequel trilogy, at least it tells a coherent story. Yeah, <laughs> that's my biggest problem with the sequel trilogy is, okay, Force Awakens, pretty damn good they came back they basically just gave us star wars over again and that's what we asked for okay awesome and then ryan johnson dared to tell a different story going in a different direction i'm like okay let's see where this goes and then they didn't trust him enough to see where he was going with it they gave it back to jj abrams who said i don't know what to do with this like uh, we got I, I don't know and he just I don't know. They didn't let him do. J.J. Abrams is a good starter. He's not a good finisher. <laughs> He's not great at endings. Yeah. Great at. I blame stuff part of that there. on the fan base, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I agree. Because they hated on Last Jedi so much. If they would have just get, if they would have just had more trust than Ryan Johnson, I think the third movie would have been would have been what we wanted. Because I'll, I'll say this real quick. If, for those who still hate on Ryan Johnson and think he's a terrible filmmaker, go watch Knives Out. You know, I still haven't go. watched that, and I'm, I was going to watch it last weekend, and I didn't get a chance to, but I will watch that this weekend. I think you'll love it. I know I'm going to love it. Everybody I, yeah. I know that loves movies loves that movie, and I trust their judgment. So It, it was my favorite movie of the year that it came out. Yeah, and I need to watch it before the sequel comes out. <laughs> I can't wait for that, too. That's one of my most anticipated movies of the year. All right. Well, that's our May the 4th be with you section for the show today. <laughs> uh, you ready to move into the news? Sure. Here we go. Of course, all of today's stories were submitted to us by Armez Jackson and I Am The Rampage. 
And if you have a story you'd like us to cover, please send them to nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. Up first, we have from movieweb.com, Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon series returns with a fan-funded third season. 90s fans of Sonic are jumping for joy over the newly released trailer that continues where the canceled cartoon left off. Uh, the famous video game mascot has slowly been climbing his way from being a source of mockery to a well-respected franchise and savior of video game movies. Um, while fans of the Hedgehog are busy running the theaters, uh, there's been another dedicated group that's been hard at work giving another piece of Sony history the love it deserves. The group goes by the name Team Season, and the A is a three, uh, and their mission is, go is to give the beloved Sonic cartoon from the 90s a third season 28 years after it was canceled. Trailer for the upcoming season can be viewed uh, on YouTube, and if you're a fan since the 90s, it's probably a blast from the pat from the past. So, what do you think about uh, Sonic getting a season three there, Derek? I know you were a, a big fan of this uh, cartoon back in the day. Yep, watched it every Saturday morning that it came on. I mentioned this before, but there were two Sonic series that came out around this time. There was Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, which was marketed towards small children had very like slapstick type of corny humor and then you had this series which was called just sonic the hedgehog or commonly referred to as sat am mm -hmm. sat am for saturday mornings um had a little bit of a darker and more mature feel and honestly had some really good storytelling especially towards this was the one end of the of ones run. that we did a commentary track for wasn't it yes yes had a introduced lot, had more of an anime feel to it. Uh, you're you're thinking of Sonic X. Oh, that's yeah, the one that that, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. that one pretty much is an anime. This this oh, was made in, this in yeah, America. We did, we did this one as well. We did two. Yep. two. Yep. I remember. I remember. Yep. Yep. So uh, introduced new characters that and I can never remember if this inspired the comic book or the comic book inspired the show, but they were kind of joined together. They had the same characters same feel and everything uh show ended i remember on a very big cliffhanger with the apparent demise of robotnik and it was canceled mostly because of a little known show at the time called the mighty Morphin power rangers oh yeah <laughs> so the cool thing is so when this came out on dvd years later they did an interview with one of the writers and he actually gave a kind of overview of what was going to happen with the third season before it was untime, ultimately canceled. Unfortunately, that writer died a few years after the uh, DVDs were released, but uh, supposedly they're, they're taking inspiration from the ideas, and the trailer actually looks really cool. Like, the animation style, it looks a little more modern, but the way the characters are drawn look pretty much identical to how they were in the show. So I, I, I definitely want to see more, because th this is something that I never thought would happen. Uh, it doesn't say in here, I was looking throughout the article, it's a pretty lengthy article, but they don't say how many episodes it's going to be. Yeah, I, I didn't see either. I mean, if it's 13, 26, however much it is, yeah, I figured I'm definitely going to watch it. They'll probably do like 12 episodes or something like that. Yeah. And it, it says here that um, it has visuals that emulate the look and feel of the original show to Sally and Snively's new voices sounding identical to their original <laughs> actors. Uh, they even brought back Johnny Gioli of Crush 40, who sang the opening original to the cartoon. And that band has done a lot of the vocal tracks for the more modern Sonic games as well. So that's cool. It, it looks great. I, I can't wait to see more. Like I said, I thought this was something that you know, may have been continued in, say, like a comic book form. Mm -hmm. But I I'm happy that a team is actually putting this together because this is really cool. And how popular is Sonic now? Like, you got the movie, <laughs> you got this series, you've got the Netflix animated series that's coming out. All we need is a new video game. <laughs> and, 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 and to be honest, I don't know how good Frontiers is going to be, but I'll save that discussion for another time. Yeah, we'll save that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this comes to us from our favorite site, NintendoLife.com. Dungeons of Dreadrock, a neat puzzle crawler with Zelda minish cap style. Dungeons of Dreadrock is a simple little game centering around the efforts of an adventurous girl to save her brother from sacrificing himself in a haunted dungeon. 
He's been taken down a hundred floors, crawling with goblins, spiders, traps, and other awful things. And you'll need to overcome it all if you wish to save him. Narrative is kept to a minimum here, but brief vignettes that play out every few floors when you nap by a bonfire to help give you a sense of the world and why your brother felt the need to sacrifice himself. Gameplay has been compared to a dungeon crawler, but this is really a puzzle game with swords and sorcery set dressing. And you can look at several screen caps on the article and it, it does very much have a I call it the cell shaded yeah. Zelda look that you saw in the Wind Waker and the Minish Cap and a couple of other games as well. It it looks pretty fun. I think it looks great. I normally don't play a ton of these type of games, but I love a good dungeon crawler and this looks like it it's right up like my alley. Like I really want to play this. This game looks gorgeous. I love the way the layout is. It has that Zelda top-down look, but it's way more, you know, like like it says, like a th- uh, that cell shaded look. And it's more mm-hmm. like cartoonish cell shaded look, and it just looks wonderful. And you can also download the game for free on smart devices, and you can purchase uh, you can purchase an ad-free version for just two dollars and forty-nine cents. Uh, but it is coming out for the Switch which I think would probably be the better option. Yeah, I'm not playing this on my phone. <laughs> yeah, I, I could play games like Solitaire and games like that on my phone, but a game like this, I got to have a console. Yeah, I don't have a single game on my phone. <laughs> I have Solitaire and Wheel of Fortune. I, I was thinking about getting Scrabble, but I don't know. I'm, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, I could see that being a good phone game. Uh, from joystickersbrazil.blogspot.com, Super Liminal is getting a physical release on Nintendo Switch May 5th. Uh, Super Rare Games and Pillow Castle today revealed plans for the physical release of Super Liminal, first-person puzzle game with three different boxed versions. There's a standard edition that's limited to $3,000, uh, which is $36.36. Uh, it comes with the Game with cartridge, interior art, full color manual, and exclusive sticker. Uh, there's the Steelbook edition for $52, limited to $750. Uh, comes with exclusive Steelbook, uh, the cartridge, postcard, interior art, full color manual, sticker, and three card trading pack. And here you got the collector's edition, limited to, uh, what does that say, $1,250? Yeah. Or, or is it $250? Uh, it looks like 1,250 yeah, for a 9718, um, comes with everything before a 32 page hardback miniature museum guidebook, uh, super liminal prawn chest, uh, pawn chest piece, three apple dice and an optical illusion fridge magnet, all in a collector's edition box with a lenticular lid. Uh, let's see. I am not. Uh, familiar with this game. This was sent to us by Armez Jackson. I just thought it looked really cool because um, it's got a weird, almost like um, the. It looks like the Everlook Hotel, but with weird, like I, I don't know. Like it, it's got an ominous look to it, and I'm, I'm I don't know anything about this game. My instant thought was it looked like if someone cleaned up the hotel from The Shining. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying, that, the Everlook that, Hotel. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that this, what this would be. A, I always forget the name of that hotel. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what it reminds me of. It, it looks pretty interesting, and the collector set looks really cool. I mean, it's got, I, I, I like physical little trinkets, like the chess pawn piece and yeah. the dice. It looks really cool. I don't know if I'll play the game or not. But the actual set, like if you're a fan of it, I think it would be worth getting. Yeah, I think, like you said, if you're a fan, this is probably worth getting. But um, as far as we go, I don't think either of us have played this before. Mm-mm. No, I've never actually even heard of it until just now. Yeah. Let's see. Our last story comes to us once again from NintendoLife.com. Kickstarter DIY kit transforms Game Boy Advance into console-like HDMI system. This actually looks really cool. A new Kickstarter campaign by Intech Gaming aims to convert the Game Boy Advance into a console-like experience. Its GBA HDMI kit has so far raised just over 10 grand with a goal of $49,697. 
and promises to be a highly portable, easy to operate, and a fun DIY device. It also comes with a built-in Bluetooth receiver, allowing it to support all kinds of game pads, including PS4, PS5, Switch Pro, and Xbox One. Retro gaming mod YouTube channel Macho Nacho Productions was sent a kit and has uploaded an entire breakdown showing the unboxing, installation, etc., which there's you can watch that uh, on the article itself. This looks really freaking cool. So basically what this is, is is just you have your Game Boy Advance, you plug it into this thing, and then you plug it into the TV and makes it HDMI? Correct. That's pretty cool. I wish they would do this, one of these, for like the original Nintendo, uh, the Super Nintendo, anything pre-HDMI. I wish they would make a device like this. I'd love to be able to play Metroid Fusion on a TV. That'd yeah, just sick. something. I, and I know there's ways to do it. I know there's ways to mod the NES to make it HDMI, but I am not a modder. I don't have time to sit down and solder 85 different things together to make this work. Just give me a little box to plug the Nintendo into, plug it into my you know, modern television, and boom, I'm off and running. That's what I need. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. I've, I've never really tried my hand at modding anything because I've been too afraid that I would just screw up the console <laughs> and then have to ultimately yeah. <laughs> go get a new one anyway. So uh, I, I leave that to, to those that have much steadier hands than i do yeah but th- this sounds really cool like I-, I would love to be able to play games like i said metroid fusion um, some of the mario ports and other great game boy advanced games on an actual tv yeah it looks really cool i hope this uh i hope this does fund so that they maybe will do something like that where you take your older consoles you just have to something very simple to plug into that transfer transforms it into hdmi uh, let's see what they're, they have 29 days to go as of when we're talking about this, and they're up to $27,500. Oh, they, they've got plenty of time. Yeah, with 171 backers. That's not bad. So this, this will make it. Oh, yeah, I got, I got sure. faith that this will go through. Yeah, absolutely. And now we're going to go into this month in video game history. <laughs> Uh, let's see, May 22nd of 1980, Namco releases Pac-Man, uh, becomes the highest grossing game of all time. It has the first gaming mascot character, established the maze chase, maze chase genre, that's hard to say, opened gaming to female audiences, introduced power-ups, and told a story through cutscenes. Uh, I, I love Pac-Man, but I think I'm a, more of a Miss Pac-Man guy myself. I would agree with that. Miss Pac-Man, both both are fun games, and Pac-Man is very important to the history of video games, but Miss Pac-Man is just a, a little bit better. And the yeah. thing I remember the most from this game of, of playing it as a kid were the cutscenes. Like, I would want to hurry and get through the level so I could yeah. see what, <laughs> what happened next. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when you think of video games, Pac-Man's, like, top three, top five most iconic video game character of yeah. all time the only thing that that now playing going back and playing pac-man now is it, it's the same maze over and over again and once you got to miss pac-man you know you had your you had differentiation in the mazes as you went through the game yeah and it's faster game as well miss pac-man is mm-hmm. uh, rampage in the chat room says metroid fusion will be the one game to get him to play a switch again i mean it's that good yeah, I I have sung the praises of that game immensely. It makes me, makes me actually want to go back and play it again. Uh, let's see. May 5th of 1984, Atari releases Star Wars, a color vector graphics game based on the popular film franchise. I've never played the Atari version of Star Wars, but I want to. Um, let's see. The Well, actually, I don't remember. I don't know if they ever released this certain version of Star Wars. This is the actual uh, arcade Oh, the arcade cabinet. And the arcade cabinet is great. It still is, is, is worth playing today. Like, I would love to have an arcade one-up version of the Star Wars arcade game because I think the only ha- um, Star Wars games they put out for the Atari were uh, 
there was uh, a light. It says here it was released for the Atari twenty six hundred and the fifty two hundred. Was it? I didn't have it. I had um, Empire Strikes Back for the Atari twenty six hundred. I don't remember this game being released for the Atari. This would be if if I could have, let's say, three arcade cabinets in my house. This would be one of them. Yeah, Just because, I mean, it would be a fun game to play, but also looks really cool. This, Tron, and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would be my picks. <sighs> That's tough to argue. I mean, Star Wars and TMNT for sure. My third one would probably be Tron, or my dark horse would be The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, The Simpsons. I love the Simpsons arcade game. Why did they never put the Simpsons out as a home port? Is mind boggling. I don't know, but <laughs> it's a travesty. I know. Like that that game was so good. Uh it that's a, I won't get too much into it, but it is it's a really good game. Missed opportunity. Uh, see, May 12th of 1989, Konami releases Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the NES in Japan. Uh, one of the first video games based on the 1987 animated series being released after the show's second season. I'm still going to say it. I love this game. I, it, it was tough, and I, I kind of hated it as a kid, but as an adult, I really like the original Ninja Turtles game for the Nintendo. Well, I think it's tough to compare it to the arcade game because the arcade game is so iconic and beloved. But now I think actually, well, I can't say, I don't want to say that for the actual arcade game, Ninja Turtles, but I think the original Ninja Turtles NES game is better than Ninja Turtles arcade game for the NES. It's just a better game. Yeah, I would agree with that. The, the arcade game is better played in the arcade. In the arcade. <laughs> so, and I'll say this also, and we've mentioned this numerous times when we've talked about the Turtles. People who are younger than us that missed out on that generation had no idea how popular the Ninja Turtles were at the time. Like, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing something Turtles related, especially when the movie came out. The 90s was when the cartoon really hit its stride. You had these video games. They were everywhere. I I can still remember walking into the arcade and they would, of course, like that, that being the, they would always put the new machines up front. So as soon as you like you're walking down the mall and you get closer and closer to the arcade, you hear that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And you're like, oh, it's here. They have it. And then you run into the arcade and there's like 20 people gathered around. And you're like, damn it, I'm not going to get to play today. <laughs> I was about to say uh, every arcade you'd go to, you'd know which was the most popular game. Yeah. Or where the Turtles game was, because that's where the line was. Yeah, they would always have the nice, big, new, shiny games like X-Men or The Simpsons or Ninja Turtles way up front. And then all the lonely, old, broken-down Galagas are in the back. <laughs> Nobody's playing. Sticks Rampage, are broken. <laughs> Rampage says we need to do a four-player Turtles in time when the Calabunga collection comes I'm, out. Absolutely. I'm down for uh, that. <laughs> Uh, that that's going to be a day one purchase for on, me. Like that, yes. it's going to be so worth it. On I cannot wait for that or Switch or where are we doing this at? Because I need uh, to know what to buy it for. I have PS4. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, same. Like I, if if everyone wants to get it for the PlayStation, I'll get it for the PlayStation. I'm, I'm whatever you guys want. That's where I'll get it. Yeah. Uh, May 11th through the 13th of 1995, the first annual Electronic Entertainment Expo, also known as E3, is held in Los Angeles, California. People who grew up in the 90s, like you knew the (laughs) one event to look forward to for video games every year was E3. That was where all the big announcements were made. What what is your favorite memory of an E3 announcement? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, not right off the top of my head. I think probably. I mean, I'm not really going back that far, but I mean, talk. You know, when Xbox unveiled the the 360 was really good. You know, when uh, trying to think back to the 90s, and I, I don't remember too many back then, like that far back. My most memorable that I can think of is it's a two-parter. It was when Nintendo was showing off the 
capabilities of what would become the GameCube. Mm-hmm. And they had the realistic looking Zelda demo with Link fighting Ganondorf. We didn't hear anything about it for a couple of years. And then they unveiled what would become Wind Waker. And there was just such an uproar. Like Zelda <laughs> fans were so pissed. Mm-hmm. Well, one of my good friends in high school, whenever that announcement was made, we would always meet each other in the hallway and he lost his mind over it. Like he said, this game is going to be terrible. <laughs> and then sorry to say it, Mike Evelyn, cause I know you're going to be listening. I thoroughly enjoy wind waker. <laughs> I love wind waker too. I don't know why he hates that game. That's, that's just sad. Well, I, his claim is valid about finding the Triforce pieces. Like it, it does get, a little repetitive and I would have liked to have seen maybe like another dungeon or two, but I'd still put it over. Like I enjoy it more in the twilight princess. Twilight princess was a bore. Yeah. I don't remember much of anything from that game. I think I got maybe five hours into that game and I was like, I'm done. This is kind of boring. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a nice looking game, but that's really about it. Like yeah. and playing as wolf link is kind of cool, but I don't even think I got that far. <laughs> like, like story wise, it, it just didn't do anything for me. But and Rampage, you know, says there's talk that uh, the Ninja Turtles game will be cross platform, but hasn't read anything officially. Yeah, I, I haven't seen mm. anything official about that either. But that would make sense if they really want to just sell the hell out of that game. It would be the smart thing to do. I want to keep track of how much that that collection sells. Yeah, we will. <laughs> we'll we'll give the numbers here on the show. Yeah. Uh, let's see, second to last in May 1999, Nintendo has started working on what will eventually be the GameCube under the code name Project Dolphin. I remember this. And then they actually used that term in uh, the Pikmin franchise because that's the name of Captain Olimar's ship, is the yeah, Dolphin. I think they revealed that at E3 when they called it yep. the Dolphin. And everybody was like, the Dolphin? <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> uh, Echo the Dolphin is going to be its new, yeah, its new mascot. Move over, Mario! Like Mario, you're done. Link, see ya. Here comes Echo the, the Dolphin. Echo That's the, where it's at. Echo the Dolphin, the new uh, Nintendo mascot. That or, um, I guess they could have worked out something with the Miami Dolphins if they wanted to yeah. get into get into that realm. I always think of the first Ace Ventura when I think of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I wonder why Nintendo always changes their official names before things come out. Like, you know, they had the the Ultra 64 eventually became the Nintendo 64. Project Dolphin became uh, the GameCube. What was the Wii called before it came out? Uh, let me look it up. Yeah, because I, I know it was way cooler than Wii. Uh... I don't remember. I can't not right off the top of my head. I can't. Remember. I think it's oh, it's the Revolution. Yeah, the yep, Nintendo that Revolution. It. That's a cool name for a console. Join the Revolution. Yeah. And they're like, they bring it out. It's like we. It's the we, the we we. But the but the we was a fun system though. It was, but they should have just kept Revolution. Uh, let, I, I was going to ask you this, but when, when putting this video game history together, I was curious to get your thoughts. Where would you put the GameCube, uh, like, on your list of best Nintendo consoles? Um, well, of course, I'm going to say the best console they ever made was the Super Nintendo, because that thing was just awesome. Number number two was the NES. Uh, I would probably say the GameCube. I mean, I love the Switch, don't get me wrong, but, man, the GameCube just had some great stuff on it so it's probably probably put it at number three because gamecube was just good it just came out against the the original xbox and playstation 2 and it just i don't know kind of got beat down well i think a lot of (laughs) a lot of people were looking at nintendo as still being like a kid console and those who played the nes and super nes were all adults now so they were looking at you know, PlayStation, and then it didn't help that Halo came out <laughs> along with the Xbox, and that you know Staff, changed the multiplayer genre forever. Staff Sergeant Sketch says Wii U is number one. You are banned, <laughs> sir. From... 
if we were doing worse consoles, then then it would be number one. I, I think I agree with you. I think I would put Super Nintendo number one just because it had so many like the list of great games for that console is endless. The NES, because it laid the foundation, it still has some of the iconic games like Mario Brothers 3, the original Legend of Zelda, Metroid. I would put it above the N64 because I think the look of the games, like they've aged much more nicely. Yeah. And they also play better than the N64. The N64 just, it's not dead last. Like I definitely put the N64 like above the Wii, even though the Wii is a great console. It just wasn't a whole lot on there that I really was crazy about. And I had a lot of fun playing the N64 back in the late 90s, but that thing did not age well. For me personally, it just did not age well. I don't enjoy going back and playing a lot of those games. Did you see the video of, I forgot who did it, but they remastered a section of Ocarina of Time with the new Unreal Engine? Yes. <laughs> Man, if they release that game, that see, why oh, you would not hear from me for a long why time. Why doesn't Nintendo go hire those people? <laughs> they'll, they'll send them a cease and yeah, desist. They'll send them a we'll cease talk and about desist, that next week. Take them to court, but they instead of just saying, hey guys, how about we make your little studio a part of our giant corporation and give them a shit ton of money and let them and, do what they do. And you're doing a, a great job with this this remake of Ocarina of Time. We're going to let you guys finish it. Here's yes. all the assets. Make it happen. Staff Sergeant Sketch, you are 100% correct that going back and trying to use the N64 controller is almost torture. For me, it is, because my right my right thumb wants to control the camera and there's no camera to control. It's like, I don't know. It's just, I can't go backwards for that controller. I'm, I'm going to make a confession. When I played Glover to review it, I used a ROM <laughs> because I didn't want to use the controller. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. I'm like, I could get this game for really cheap, but then I'm like, I really don't want to use this controller. Yeah. It's like if I go back and play Ocarina of Time, I play it on the 3DS. Yeah. Same thing with Majora's Mask. But I digress. Uh, last uh, section of this month in video game history, May 22nd of 2000, Rare releases Perfect Dark for the Nintendo 64. You want to talk about, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, properties that would make for a good movie perfect dark would make a great movie yeah i i think you're uh right on the money with that i don't know why they that nintendo didn't continue perfect dark as a series it, it was continued after um microsoft acquired rare they released a prequel uh called perfect dark zero but i, I don't think that. it was held as in high of a regard i never played it so i couldn't tell you how good or bad it was but just we live in an age now where people love you know strong female characters and i think joanna dark would make an awesome like franchise figurehead yeah i think so too i don't i don't know and why I, they kind of just let that one just die and i know james bond's around but mission impossible is going to be ending in a couple of movies so why not continue that genre yeah with you know, with perfect dark and it'd be great. Uh, but right now, before we go into our review for tonight, Derek has some shout outs. Yes, as always, we'd like to shout out our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. We want to shout out Daniel Salmon, Tyler Watson, Axblade07, Armez Jackson, Hand Solo, Carlos Longoria, Staff Sergeant Sketch, Gus and Penny, Matthew Salmon, Mike Eveland and Mr. Brandon Rutledge. Thank you all so much for your continued contributions to the show. And if you want to be a part of our awesome Patreon community, you get early access to our fun commentary tracks. Like I know you and Wally just did uh, an episode of Ewoks. Yes, so, we did. Uh, and you'd be happy that you missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you mentioned it or not. I had a family emergency over yeah. the weekend. So I, I was... I was not able to make the commentary track, but uh, yeah, I, it got me curious to go back and watch it because I've actually never watched Ewoks. And I said it during the commentary that I don't remember anything from this ca cartoon from watching it as a kid, and I didn't know if that was a good or bad thing. And then I realized while watching it, 
It's because it's boring <laughs> as hell. <laughs> like, there's nothing. Of, it, me, me, me or Wally, it did not keep our attention. Like We were talking about everything else under the sun except for that cartoon. But those usually do make for the best commentary tracks, though. Yeah, they do. But at the same time, it's like it's, it didn't have anything to do yeah. with the cartoon. Yeah. So if you want early access to fun episodes like that, just head over to patreon.com slash a nerd cave retro. And for new patrons, be sure to send us your social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, email, Instagram, so we can give you a proper shout out. And uh, don't forget, if you are a patron, uh, go. it's that time again to go check your uh Check your subscription with Patreon because sometimes they have a little trouble getting uh, to go through with your bank. So if you notice you have your payment didn't go through this month, please go check on Patreon and make sure all your banking stuff is kosher. And now we're... Are you a coffee lover? Do you sometimes need that little extra boost for some all-night gaming sessions? Well, you should head over to BeResCoffeeCo.com. They have so many different flavors of coffee. Doesn't matter what type of coffee you like, they got you covered. Try the Good for Gaming Roast or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. Not to mention, they keep their seasonal flavors all year long, like the Fall Spice or the Sweet Tooth. They can even add flavors to your coffee. So whatever you need, head over to BeResCoffeeCo.com and use the code NCR for 10% off of your order. This is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Wizards and Warriors is a platform video game developed by Rare. For the Nintendo Entertainment System, it was published by Acclaim and released in North America in December 1987 and in Europe on January 7, 1990. In the game, the player controls Kuros, Night Warrior of the Books of Excalibur, as he sets out in the kingdom of Elrond to defeat the evil wizard Malkai. Malkai holds the princess of Elrond captive in Castle Ironspire, deep within the forests of Elrond. The player fights through forests, tunnels, caves, while also collecting keys, treasure, weapons, and magic items. And the biggest surprise uh, of doing this game, because I've, I've been thinking about doing this game for a while now. Uh, I actually picked up a copy of it at a, a, think a flea market a while back. I did not know that this game was developed by Rare. I had no idea. I'll be perfectly honest. I have not heard of this game until you told me you were going to review it. And I was even more shocked when you said that Rare developed it. And it's crazy because this game, I was not into this game when I was a kid. I remember playing it a couple of times. I had some friends that had this game, but it was just, it didn't, something about it didn't capture my attention. But now as an adult playing it, I got a lot more out of it. And I, this is a very well made and executed game. I think when I was a kid, I, I, there's a lot of things about this game during the gameplay. I, it, kind of throws what you know about uh, platformers and side-scrollers and kind of just throws it out the window. And, I, you know, at the time, I was used to things like Castlevania, you know, Super Mario Brothers, that type of stuff. And that stuff doesn't really apply here to this game. Like, this game plays really well, don't get me wrong, but uh, you have a, a sword and... You, it, sometimes it, it even as an adult a little bit playing it, it feels like you don't have much of a range as far as uh, attacks and things like that. But you you can hit things as you jump. Like you don't take as much damage as you think you are during this game. And the cool thing about it is, even though if you do die, and thank you Rare for doing this in the game, you there's you get unlimited continues and you pretty much just start right back where you died. So you can pretty much finish this game in one sitting because you're not punished in any way by dying. I feel like, and I don't mean to use the, the pun here, but I feel like that was actually very rare yeah, for games was. back then because it's like, you know, we talk about the Nintendo level of hard where like, 
if you die, you got to go all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. So, or, or just go so far back that you might as well just start from the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. That That's actually very surprising because I, I, in looking at this game, and I don't know a ton about it, but I just assume that you, know, you die and you just have to start all over again like others. Yeah. And the cool thing about this game is it's not a straight platformer, side scroll, or anything like that. There's a lot of jumping, climbing. You know, it's got different sort of. Uh, aesthetic to each level like the very first level is the trunk of a tree like where you're going in and out of the trunk of the tree trying to get to the top you get to the top and and of course through the whole thing you have to collect gems you have to get keys to open up um, the treasure chest throughout the level Um, killing enemies get you uh, you know power ups different potions things like that that do different things like invincibility Stuff like that. You also get um, like upgrades to your armor. Like you get um, boots of I forgot what exactly what the names of it are. Like the boots, boots of floating or whatever you know where you can like lev- or boots of levitation, which you get and you can levitate for like three or four seconds, um, which helps you kind of like almost use it like a double jump. Like you can get to higher places that you can't quite jump to. Like you do the levitation and you kind of go up a little bit and you once you reach the top of that levitation, you hit the jump button and then you can go get up to higher higher spots. And that's a really cool mechanic that I was like, this is really creative for the time. Like they didn't do stuff like this in other games. So my initial thought in looking up, you know, some info about this game, my initial thoughts went to Zelda 2 because the it reminded me of the look a little bit, but it seems like it plays so much better. And maybe yeah. Zelda 2 should have adopted something like this and it would have been a much better game. I really do think, because this does have that... It's got a weird sort of like dark Zelda vibe to it. Like there's like... This game has a different vibe than most games that you play around this time. From the music is... At first, the music is kind of off-putting because it doesn't feel like it fits, but it really kind of really grows on you, and it's very moody. And just the visuals in the game, like the graphics in this game are really good. Um, Lots of colors and just cool everything in this game just looks good. And I don't know why I wasn't into it as a kid because there's a lot of variety in this game from like the, you know, the different levels you go to, um, the different enemies that you fight, the different, uh, you know, you have to go around the level collecting gems because in order getting the gems and get the keys to open the doors, because you have to get like a hundred gems in each level to go to the, the, the next part, because there's a knight protecting the door and you have to bribe him with a hundred gems in order to let for him to let you through to the next level. And it's just stuff like that, that it just makes the gameplay really kind of fun. Cause there's a lot of backtracking in it to, to get everything you need to get. And, and it's, it feels open world, but it's not really, but it's way more open world than regular platformers at the time. I really like the the use of colors in the different environments, like in what looks like a cave type area, like the deep purples that you see, and with the the trees, mm-hmm. like the you know the deep browns and the greens, like it, it really pops more than you would think an NES era game would. And, and Staff Sergeant Sketch brings up a good point. He says, "Remember not he remembers not being able to get past the first level." And having to reset the game and then would be able to the next time, perhaps it was just because he had no idea what he was doing. I think a lot of that is the reason why I didn't like it as a kid, but I do like it as an adult because it's not linear. You know, you have to do a lot of backtracking. You have to do um, a lot of, like, jumping from platform to platform, you know, going in hidden areas and finding the uh, hidden secrets and things like that throughout the level to get through it. It's like I said, it's not linear. It's, it's more like I kind of get a, almost like uh, if Castlevania two Simon's quest and ghosts and goblins sort of 
mashed together and made a good game out of those two, this would be it. Yeah, graphic-wise, it reminds me a little bit more of of a Ghost and Goblins than a Castlevania, but I, I do see the kind of the elements that maybe were borrowed from that. But yeah. it, it makes for a, a potentially, you know, nice mashup. And I, I will admit I have not heard of this game before you told me about it, but it, it looks really interesting. It was one of those games that I feel like a lot of a lot of people had this game, but and I feel like all my friends had it, but I never was into it enough to get, you know, ask for it for Christmas or whatever. And it just, it's one of the things like, ah, I'm not really into the whole swords and sorcery thing. Like I just wasn't into that at that time as a kid and it didn't intrigue me. But now as I've gotten older and I've played games like, you know, Diablo and, you know, think dungeon crawlers of that nature with the whole sword and sorcery type of, feel to it like to go back and play this is like oh this is you can tell where those people got the inspiration for those games by playing games like this yeah i'm gonna have to go back and check this out because uh, i was actually thinking at some point i'd like to go through and at least try to play through every game that rare has developed because really, I'm such a big fan you of, of all people. I think would really enjoy this game. Once you kind of get into it and figure out, and I wouldn't necessarily say use a, um, a walkthrough at first, just kind of jump in and get a feel for it. And then kind of, cause kind of it, it's not one of those games that's so huge. It's going to take you hours to figure. It's not like, the original Legend of Zelda, where you could spend hours and hours and hours in that game looking for stuff. The, the levels are relatively small, so there's not a whole lot of places you can go. But just finding all the secrets and all the things like that are, are really fun in this game. I think that's why I'm surprised that I've never heard of it, because it looks like a game that I would enjoy. Because when I was a kid, I was into swords and sorcery and magic partially because of Zelda. Yeah. And I think this game kind of fits right in there with that whole Zelda genre. I think if if you were super into to Zelda and you like me were disappointed with Zelda 2, like but you you liked that kind of genre, like this was this was I feel is a much better game than Zelda 2, and I know I get I want to get it hate for that, but I still to this day I just something about Zelda 2 just doesn't sit right with me. And this game just kind of streamlines that, that sort of not linear gameplay, but allow you to find like secrets and you have to collect things and you have to upgrade your armor and get new weapons. And, and some of the, I was trying to look up the heavy uh, things like, like I said, the, uh, the potion of levitation allows you to float upwards, the dagger of throwing, which is cool because it gives you, um, every time you throw your sword, like you throw a dagger out that acts like a boomerang and it gives you a longer range of, uh, you know, to hit something. Um, the battle axe of Agor, uh, that are thrown at enemies and return like a boomerang the feather of feather fall that slows your falling speed, which you do a lot in this game because there is the platforming is a lot of going up and down and not sideways. Um, the Wand of Wonder and Staff of Power that shoot out balls of ice and fire. Uh, Cloak of Darkness that makes you invisible to enemies. Boots of Lava Walk that where you can walk. There's a lot of lava stages in this game that allows you to walk on lava. So it's got those RPG elements to it where you're going through and collecting, you know, all the things that, you know, like upgrades to your armor and things like it's it's an early version of that but it's still fun nonetheless it's it's like a i wouldn't say a dungeon crawler but it's a dungeon side scroller well not side not even side scroll like a dungeon platformer with all the weapons you were listing i kind of got a game of thrones vibe yeah <laughs> as to how everything's named yeah i i want to check this game out like it it i love the cover art for it like it it looks like uh, like a book, like the cover of a book you would see in a story. You'd be like, okay, I might be interested in reading that. Yeah. 
it's it sounds like it's something that would be right up my alley. And I just remember at the time, you know, 89, 90, the early issue, you know, first couple of years of Nintendo Power, this game was always in like the top 10 or top 20 or whatever. You know, they they would have that list of, you know, the the top Nintendo games at the time. And this game was always up there. And I kind of feel like I cheated myself by not giving this game a real chance when I was a kid. But I feel like, you know, I appreciate it a lot more as an adult, especially for, you know, being a rare title. And it's a lot better than I feel like most people give it credit for. Because you don't hear a lot about this game. And I feel like this game is a lot, deserves to be, you know, up there in one of the, the better Nintendo titles at the time. Even to this I'm day. A little, I'm sorry. I'm a little surprised at the, the reception of the game, too, because all game, it gave it four and a half stars, but the games machine only gave it 70%. Power Play gave it 68. GameSpot gave it a 7.2 out of 10. And I feel like that's very average yeah which it sounds like to me at least from your experience playing it that it's above that yeah i feel it's way better than average it's not a masterpiece by any means it's not a super mario brothers 3 it's not legend of zelda but it's definitely in that kind of upper mid-range of really good nes titles yeah, and the NES, and it's crazy to say this, but I, I know it's the console. Like, I'm not as familiar with, like, the more obscure titles of it. Yeah. So the, the, I'm going to add this to the list to to go back and play. Like, I wish it was on, and I don't know if it is or not, but I I've, feel like it should be on some kind of, like, rare collection or something along those lines. Like, yeah. it's some type of collection. And there's so many games in the, in the Wizards and Warriors uh Let's see. There now I forgot how many other sequels that came after this. Of course, Wizards and Warriors 2 was Iron Sword was famous for having Fabio on the cover. Yep. And uh there were there were definitely other games that came afterwards, but I don't know, it kind of got abandoned because I feel like it, it it just didn't really capture that huge market that they were looking for and eventually it was just abandoned, but I feel like this game these games have a strong enough cult following from what I've read the last you know week or so, like researching this game, that I, th- I feel like eventually Rare sh- would put out like some sort of a compilation, um, you know, uh, of these titles. And I was reading right here that IGN listed Wizards and Warriors at number 56 on its top 100 NES games list. So it's... Around average, yeah, it's just right there. But I mean, yeah. to be in the top one hundred of you know, 12, oh, absolutely, twelve hundred games is no, by yeah, no yeah. means, uh, you know, it's not, that's not bad at all. True. Yeah the the last Wizards and Warriors game to come out was Wizards and Warriors Three: Visions of Power for in nineteen ninety two. Really, that was it. I thought there were several other uh, sequels that came out. Because I thought they had kind of moved to computer only at some point. Yeah, Wizards of Warriors 3 came out for the NES in March of 92. Huh. Yeah, it was the third and final installment in the Wizards and Warriors series. Uh, yeah, Staff Sergeant Sketch. Uh, I, I never played the second one, but I do hear that it's slightly more playable than the first. And, of course, he said maybe I just had an N- Nintendo Power issue to help me. And I think I had that same issue. Because I remember that being in there. And I, the reason I wanted to play this game is because I do want to go back and play Iron Sword as well. Because, I don't know, these games just kind of intrigued me. Uh, something about these games just really intrigued me over the last you know several months or so. Because, I, like I said, I never played these. I did at different friends' houses. You know, like they had copy of it and I would play it a little bit at their house but it never captured my attention as a kid I think it holds up pretty damn well to be you know a relatively early NES title I mean this thing came out in 87 rough, roughly around the time of you know Castlevania and things like that so I think it had a lot of tough competition for the genre that it was in 
yeah, you think of the other titles that came out around that time, and it's it can be pretty tough to compete with that. Yeah, because, I mean, you had Metroid, you had Castlevania, like all the great games. Like, 87 was a pretty solid year for mm-hmm. Nintendo games. And to come out that same year and not be, you know, a, a mainline Nintendo title or, you know, something, you know, one of the huge Nintendo franchises, like, it's going to be hard to to get noticed at that time. Yeah, for sure. But uh, I think out of out of 10, like, it, it's not... Like I said, it's it's not a, a fantastic, great game for the Nintendo. It's better than average, so I think it it sits somewhere between it, like it's like maybe a seven point five, like a good average, above average Nintendo game. I can respect that, but I'm really interested for you to play it and see what you think about it because I think you'll get a lot out of it as well. You'll see a lot of what has come since then got their their seed from this game yeah no i it definitely intrigues me from you know the look and the gameplay and everything it was it it looks like something i would enjoy and uh that's going to bring us to the end of the episode uh just to remind everybody next week we are doing we're going to have a guest next week we're going to have uh mr brian dunaway from the play retro show is going to be on next week and we're going to be doing our top five beat-em-ups and we've got uh, a lot of lists in, so if you haven't sent in your list, please send them to us uh, wherever you want to send them to us, really. But uh, the best way to do it is just send them to us at nerdkidretro@gmail.com. And uh, Derek, tell us about the feature presentation. So it's unofficially back. I did a mini episode <laughs> this week to kind of talk about what you can expect from the show and everything. So you can go check that out on it should be out on all major podcasting platforms now and to give and Mike Evelyn pointed this out too if you subscribe to the old version of the show you will need to subscribe to the new feed i built a brand new feed uh just starting fresh with the show so you can find that on apple podcasts spotify it's on google podcasts really any the only platform it's not on i know for sure is pandora but it's on iHeartRadio, it's on uh, TuneIn app, pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. You can find it. It's also on YouTube. Uh, the show will officially launch a week from Monday, May 16th, live on YouTube at 8 p.m. Central Time. It will be live every week at that time. So the best way to keep up with the show is subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow me on social media at FeaturePressPod. Fantastic. And uh, go check us out. The Open Micers podcast, where last week we did, uh, for episode 100, we did a pop culture palette reunion with Mr. Wiley Phelps and Miss, Steph- Miss Steffi Lou Who, and uh, that was a really fun episode, so go check that out. And then this week's episode, we talked to uh, Mr. Robbie Hennig and Jesse McCann from the Old Rob podcast, which is one of the funniest podcasts, funniest new podcasts I've ever heard. So go check out the Old Rob podcast. Uh, wherever you get podcasts and go check out open micers at open micers on Twitter and Instagram. So Derek, I think that's just about it for this week. What do you say? I think so. Let's get out of here. If you'd like to email us, email us of course at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're at Facebook, facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. Of course, Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro and individually at jfunktastic at Derek underscore diamond. For some reason, our merch store is down and I had to email Public to find out what's wrong, but when it's back up, it's ncrmerch.com and our Patreon is patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro or as little as a dollar a month keeps us alive and functioning keeps the lights on and you get access early access to the commentary tracks every single month and anything extra i throw up on the patreon feed so head on over there patreon.com slash retro and of course leave a review wherever fine podcasts are given away for free so derek please tell them what it's all about this is the way this is the way Okay.